As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Major Spoilers theme song! The Major Spoilers Podcast is on the air. Pod- on, on the air. The Major Spoilers Podcast is on the air. On the air. Pod, pod, podcast. I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Stephen. If you're listening to the Major Spoilers Podcast, 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 The Major Spoilers Podcast is on the air. Hey everyone, welcome to the Major Spoilers Podcast. So glad that you could join us this weekend. Somebody who's been a longtime guest of the show, who we haven't had back in quite some time, is Dr. Peter Coogan, the director of the Institute for Comic Studies and the co-founder and co-chair of the Comic Arts Conference. He joins us today to talk comic books. Peter, welcome back to the show. Hey, Stephen. Glad to be back. Now, we are getting right into the fall season, which means it's, it's time for school to get back into session. And I know that there are a lot of places all over the country that are teaching uh, comic book-related courses. Uh, you've got a couple coming up, correct, this fall? I've got uh, just one comic uh, book-related course in the fall, and uh, I don't have my spring schedule laid out, but I hope to uh, – I actually hope to teach – and this will touch on something we're going to do in the next uh, appearance of me uh, – I hope to teach a Watchmen Great great books course Ooh. where I, we look at all the sources that are in Watchmen, all the, uh, you know, all the movies that they mention oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and the different texts, read Watchmen, read it deeply, intently, and read all those surrounding supporting texts that the ones that led into Watchmen and then things like Lost and mm-hmm. Heroes and so forth that led out of Watchmen. Wow. That's and pretty you go deep. back and look at, at Dylan's work and, mm-hmm. um, and the poems and all the novels and stuff like that and spend a semester doing that. You know, so. I know that there are people that have written their entire master's theses on, uh, on Watchmen just because it's so deep. And depending on which way you could go, you could go into it just reading about uh, how characters are, are allegories of, of other characters or how art is representative of different things and different meanings and how just even the layout of certain issues – is so telling and that's mm-hmm. and so you could just spend an entire semester just covering that but you're going to spread out this is a literature class i'm i'm betting is is what this falls I, under actually it'd be it would be a media class oh okay all right excellent it'd be a, for the the media studies uh department hopefully at wash U. that's my goal and uh unlike a, a class that i don't know if anybody's ever taught before i've never heard of a class like this yeah. and i just got the idea one day and went that would be a really great class and so i really want to teach it so what is the class that you're teaching this fall 
The class I'm teaching this fall is just a history of com- American comics class. And I'm using um, Paul Lope's book, Demanding Respect, The Evolution mm-hmm. of the American Comic Book. Uh, he basically shows how, we, how comic books went from trash to treasure, you know, in the sense of, of culturally, uh, in the sense of comics went from being, you know, disregarded and, and view, viewed as, uh, as worthless throwaway, uh, right. and how now comics has, as a medium, have gotten a lot of respect. It's basically, I'm using it uh, in this class because the way I've taught um, this kind of class before has been, you know, how do we get from the yellow kid to, uh, mm-hmm. to Asterios Polyp? Mm-hmm. You know, how do we get from the yellow kid to uh, um, Fun Home? You know, in other right. words, how, how do we move from something that's just this uh, Sunday disposable, you know, just for kids. Right. It's, you know, it's looked down upon, it's viewed as a threat to uh, all that's good and right mm-hmm. in America, to, uh, you know, works that are, are you know, win the Pulitzer or that are held up as, as, uh, as complex uh, narrative, uh, literary, artistic mm-hmm. uh, works. How do you know what's that process? And so that's that's what that's I use that as the arc for for my class. Now, so. is this a class? You know, I, I'm teaching my uh, comic book class again uh, this semester, uh, comics to film, where we take a look at what does it take to take a comic book and turn it into a different medium altogether. And I mean, really, this is about adaptation. We've talked about uh, that a lot of times before. But do you still find that you're having to explain to students? what a comic book is in a course like this, how to read a comic book. Well, th- and this gets into what we're going to talk about today. And, and, and the, reason, the, thing that I, the reason I think this is a great topic for today is I'm, I'm going to talk about how to read comics because I just taught a class in comics theory, a graduate course at WashU. Mm-hmm. And what I discovered by teaching that class is I've been reading books that combine words and pictures for 40 years I just started reading comics this this year. Well, um, in the sense, that. Go, go, go into a little deeper on that because I mean, a lot of us can say we've been reading for comics for twenty, thirty years. Maybe not Rodrigo. Now, Rodrigo's probably only been reading it for fifteen years. But I mean, what what do you mean? I mean, we read comic books, don't we? Well, what I mean by that is we we read uh, a lot of times we read the literary elements, the uh, the character setting, mm-hmm. theme, plot. Those sorts of things, symbols, right? Right. And sometimes, sometimes we might uh, look at the way those things are done in pictures. You know how characters established through pictures, right? Right. How the setting is established through the pictures, and so forth. But we don't. I didn't really, to be honest. Um, really look at the way those things are established through sequential artistry, mm. through transitions. It's, you know, some of the stuff McLeod talks about, but McLeod is not really theory, and he's certainly not academic theory. Right. Comic studies as a field, as an academic field, has just, in the past sort of 10 years, even five years ago, I don't think I could have taught this class, has really just started to develop a comic-specific theory. We're, mm-hmm. we're really just in the very beginning of it. And actually, that's one of the ways I pitched the class as this is a chance for graduate students to see a, a, a field with a body of theory that is emerging right now. 
you know, if if you're going to look at semiotics, well, semiotics got you know 40 years behind it. Deconstructions, you know, 50 years old. Uh, um, all these different theories, psychoanalytic reason, new criticism, um, uh, you know, feminist theory, Marxist theory. All these theories have been around for decades and decades. So they've been hashed through. The problems have been worked out. They've advanced. They've split into subfields. They're doing all this stuff. Mm-hmm. But comics theory is right now brand new. You know, there's there's not that much of it. And even with what there is, it's not settled. Right. So it's a chance to really get in, dig around with things, figure things out. There's there's some terms that we would use in class. I just had a, a student do her um, sort of her thesis on, and she included a, a reading of Mouse and used all these concepts and terms. Uh, and it was connected to you know how you use comics in teaching high school. And she wrote me and said, "This term echo does it mean you know this or that?" And I said, "Well, actually, we never settled on that because the the it's not really well defined what it means in the literature. So what do you think it means? Figure you know you are, you get a chance to figure that out. A mm-hmm. uh, panel rhyme and panel echo. What's what's the difference between those?" And I said, "Well, I think we came up with this definition, but." We didn't settle that. It's not settled in the literature. So it's an exciting thing because people who are doing stuff now are, you know, the application of it, the people who are writing it, it's all new and interesting. And in academia, that's that's exciting to be in a field that's just emerging. That's right. one of the reasons why I got into comics because if I was going to go and study, you know, Shakespeare or, or, you know, 19th century American literature or whatever, I'd be way back in the back of the line, yeah. right? Yeah. And to make a mark, to have any kind of impact on the field, uh, that's, you know, you have to have tenure and you have to publish these big fat books and you have to, te- you know, it's hard. You have to right. get into a major, you know, university, but in comics, it's all open, so... The point of this is that teachers, you as a teacher, mm-hmm. should become familiar with theory for yourself, right. for your own reading, for your own teaching. And to whatever degree possible, you should work theory into the class. Now, a lot of people do that with McLeod Understanding Comics, and, mm-hmm. and uh, I've, I've, he's got uh, Making Comics, which also is interesting. He's got some new stuff in there. But we should stretch beyond McLeod because McLeod's not an academic and, and you know, he doesn't right. pretend to. This is not anything against Scott. He he had a specific purpose with his book. I believe he achieved it, and he started a conversation. Many people are right in response to, or right against McLeod, or these sorts of things are right in, in you know uh, in, in in contrast with him. But the thing is that the field, the theory, is developing on its own mm-hmm. um, in a regular academic way, and and it's that regular academic theory that is changing the way. I read comics, changing the way I read comics much more, and I know this sounds strange, even than McLeod did. McLeod made me aware of a lot of comics things, but I have started to see things in comics that I was unaware of before, even though I read, I read McLeod for 20 years. Right. I taught him several times. The stuff that happened this year was different from what happened into reading McLeod. Well, let's, let's go into that just a little bit. Can you give me an example? Give me one example of how suddenly... I don't know, your eye has opened or your eyes have opened and suddenly you're experiencing this in a whole new different way. Sure. And I'm not going to link this too much to the theory itself because a a lot of the theory is sort of head makes your head hurt theory mm-hmm. at first right uh, when you get into it but i can i can recommend a couple books i can i can send you uh um uh you know my syllabus which you can post sure um 
uh, on the website, and it'll have some of the readings and so forth. But, you know, there's some great books out there. Charles Hatfield uh, has a book um, uh, called Alternative Comics, and his second chapter is called The Art of Tensions, The Otherness of Comics Reading. So mm-hmm. he comes up with, this, with a number of tensions that when you look for these tensions in the comics as you're reading them, they, they, they reveal... Uh, uh, meaning comes out of looking at the tension. So he's got uh, the tension of word versus image. Mm-hmm. He's got uh, the tension of um, uh, um, pictographic language, uh, code versus code. So different types of pictographic language. Okay. Uh, image, single image versus image in a series. Mm-hmm. You know um, the the the. I'm just uh, trying to find the other uh, tensions. Um, so, you know, these various tensions, and when you start to become sequence versus surface, uh, um, looking at the, the single page uh, versus uh, more pages. So that, that kind of thing. Right. Another one is, uh, there's a great article by Derek Badman that covers uh, focalization and ocularization. And, and, and at first you start reading these and you think, oh, well, that's just narr- narrator, you know, point of view, first person, second person, third person. But it's much more complex than that because what focalization is, there's a character who is the focus of a panel. Mm-hmm. But isn't the narrator? But you mm-hmm. see through that character's eyes, right? But that character isn't the narrator. So focalization and narration are completely different things. Oh yeah, I see. And this is something that that to some degree a little bit can happen in movies, mm-hmm. but it's really comic specific. And when we read that article, I have to say I read the article and I didn't get it. <laughs> I okay. was. But what we did was in class, and and uh, it, the article is published in the International Journal of, of Comic Art. Um, we in class we sat down and we did it with Kabuki, David Max Kabuki, the first mm-hmm. collection. Um, we went through each of the terms and applied it, and oh my god, it it totally opened the book up. Mm-hmm. We became aware of so many more things that was happening in the sequential art, so many things that were happening in the way the pages were laid out. Um, and so that kind of reading is a comic-specific reading, and it's different from the kinds of readings that I was doing in the past. And right. so I'm going to walk you through a couple of fairly simple examples that are, are in books that we all know, that we're all familiar with, okay. that can demonstrate how to use this. Now, Okay. I, I'd be curious, the, because the, this is the yeah. thing that, that's going to get a lot of people maybe weirded out or bothered or troubled mm-hmm. by this, because here are explorations, and I'm guessing this... Uh, International Journal of Comic Art article was a recent, fairly recent article within uh, the last yeah, 10 years. years okay. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So when we're talking about some of these examples, I'm going to bet some of those are maybe 20, 30 year old examples. Either the people that are working on this are geniuses and knew this up front and they weren't sharing it with anybody, or we're applying this stuff based on what we've seen from other, other medium, other outlets. Is that what's going on here? Because I think a lot, you know, I think some people might sit back and go, well, wait a minute, that's a pretty good theory. But I mean, you know, these people aren't consciously trying to apply this to their work. Right. What's happening is the the cartoonists, the artists are solving problems. Right. 
what the theorists are coming in and doing is they are describing how they solve the problems and theorizing it. So mm-hmm. they're, they're, they're taking it up to an abstract level and, and labeling it mm-hmm. so you, we can understand what's going on. And, and a great example of this is actually there's an article called How to Read Nancy. Okay. And uh, if you, you can just Google that, How mm-hmm. to Read Nancy, you can download the article. It's by Mark Newgarden and Paul Karasek. And in it, what they do is they take apart a, a Nancy strip. Okay. And, and they do this, what I call the isolation technique, where they, they, the first thing they do is they look at just the word balloons. Mm-hmm. Then they look at just Sluggo. Then right. they look at just Nancy. Then they look at just the other characters. Uh, then they look at just the darks, the dark shapes. Then they look at, finally... Uh, the prop, they look at the the ground line, and then finally just look at the three panels. Right. And by isolating, you start to see things. Now, I had students apply this to Will Eisner's spirit. Mm. And uh, there's, a, there's a, a feature when Hitler comes to the United States. It's, 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 he's always called the dictator. Right. But one of the things that my, one of my students noticed, she isolated Hitler. And she noticed that when the the frame showed him uh, uh, connected to the bottom border. He mm-hmm. was strong. And when it pulled back and his feet weren't touching the bottom border, he got yelled at, he got pushed around, he got knocked down. Mm. He wasn't grounded. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Now, was Eisner thinking about, the, I don't know. I think he was just doing it, right? Right. And yet, that reading is valid because... It, it ties in with the themes. There's another instance in that where he's in the dark, right? Mm-hmm. And he's because he's still lo- locked in his Nazi ideology. And then he sees the light. He realizes something and his face is lit up. Mm-hmm. Well, was Eisner specifically thinking about the metaphor of seeing the light? I mean, once you see it, it's hard to not right, right. believe that it was. But intent doesn't really matter. The thing is, Eisner was solving the problems of telling the story. Also, he's facing, when he's in the dark, he's facing to the left. Mm-hmm. And when he's in the light, he's facing to the right in the panel. Mm. Right? Yeah. So, it's, it's a different side of him. He's facing a different direction. Right? There's, there's all these sorts of things. So, does it matter whether or not Eisner was consciously saying, well, I'm going to put him in the dark and then put him in the light? Or did he just, did it feel right? And so, he did it. Right. as a way of solving a problem in storytelling, and then you apply the isolation technique mm-hmm. to the reading, and you discover how he was conveying meaning about Hitler and about the character and so forth. And you can see this with, you can trace blacks through Eisner. Eisner's a great per, great cartoonist to do with the isolation. You trace the blacks and you discover these eyeline patterns. Kirby's mm-hmm. the same way. Right. That that guide your eye through the page mm-hmm. and make the reading go better and you know, it's it those are superior comics because you know your eye knows where to go because you're following the blacks. So ah, okay. Now, let me just give you uh some of this actually comes out of a great little book by um uh Sarah J. Van Ness. It's called Watchman is Literature. And okay. it's uh, published by McFarland, and mm-hmm. it really just kind of goes through. It's a kind of taxonomy of, of Watchmen. So she goes through and she, and she talks about just all the parts of, of the comics, pages and panels, and really kind of basic stuff that 
you would think you would know. But right. just by labeling these things and laying them out and getting you to pay attention to them, you it changes your reading. Now, mm-hmm. um, and I'm talking about that one because it's a very accessible book. Uh, anybody can read it and get it. And she talks about Watchmen, but it's applicable elsewhere. Now, what I'm going to talk about is Dark Knight. Okay. Favorite, favorite book Miller's. of mine. Frank Miller, yeah. yeah. Now, if you, if you open up, you know, first page and so forth, there's all these little panels. You know, right. The first page has four, you know, has uh, 16 panels on it. Mm-hmm. And it's got these, you know, these, these, these little words. And then the whole rest of the book is just cramped. The biggest he has is a, uh, like a quarter page panel with Bruce Wayne in it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and this, it's is, almost in the, is, this is in the first issue, right? This is in the first, yeah, first okay. chapter. You know, he's got the picture of Gotham that takes up half a panel. But most of them, he's got, you know, 16, 12 panels on a page. They're very, right, very, very cramped, tiny, right? very hard to yeah, very flow tiny, right. Hard, hard to follow if you don't, you know, understand how, you know, because they don't have word balloons connecting every panel. Right. And, and I, I, it can be oh, go ahead. claustrophobic. Uh, yes. Lots of tension because we've got a l- bunch of little closed off spaces. Right. Claustrophobic uh, is a great word. And, and, you know, I had students who read it and they didn't understand they needed to read the words with the TV screen. Right. So they right. read the words all the way across and then they saw the four TV screens. Mm-hmm. And, and I also have had people read it from left to right all the way across the two pages. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's very confusing, right? Right. But sometimes the double page spread. Now, when does the book open up? Well, it's on page 34. What happens on page 34? This should be agony. I should be a massive aching muscle, broken, mm-hmm. spent, unable to move. And if I were an older man, I surely would. It's Batman flying through the air in his costume. Mm-hmm. He gets the whole page. Right. Right? Yeah, and that's you the know first time that he's page. back in the costume. Right. And you yeah. know what I'm talking about. When you flip that oh, page, yeah, yeah. you get an electric tingle. Mm-hmm. Right? Okay. It also helps so now, if there's a lot of electricity in the air. Yes. Both literally and and metaphorically, right. So now, if you flip through the book, you'll mm-hmm. find who else gets who gets a single who gets a splash page. Well, Batman gets another one when he's hanging from the helicopter, right? Uh, in chapter two, um, uh, you know, uh, it's it's uh, you know, Batman gets one when he's holding the uh, general with the flag. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the Batmobile gets one when he's blowing up the mutants, right? He gets, Batman gets one when he comes out of the Batmobile. Um, there's one with Superman when Superman says, you know, we must not remind them that there's still giants in the earth. There's one of, of Bruce Wayne holding Robin after, you know, she saved his life right? over and over and over again. Who gets the splash pages? Well, superheroes only, right? Okay. Well, uh, and I don't have I don't have it right in front of me, but there is right into the oh, it's in into the th- third act uh, uh-huh. where uh, Batman and and the Joker go at it. And isn't isn't it a double page spread, or am I maybe because again no. I don't have it here in front of me. This is right after the Joker's broken his own neck, and uh-huh. they're inside the tunnel of uh, love. Is the Joker that, is, didn't break his own neck, but we can go into that. Okay, <laughs> I understand what you mean, though. Right, right. Um, yeah, they're in the tunnel of love. Yeah, is is that a double page spread too? No, there's no okay. double page spread. It's okay. actually a, a a half panel at okay. the end. All right. Uh, when he's bleeding. Okay, so we we've seen that. Um, it goes. You know, the only people who get full page spreads are 
superheroes. Mm-hmm. Superman gets them, gets one. Batman gets several. Batman and Robin get a couple. And then there's there's one. Uh, it's in the last chapter, and it's on page uh, one sixty two. It's a it's a son of Batman, and he gets. He's standing on the. Uh, he's loading the shotgun. Oh right, it's right. The guy who cut the yeah. fingers off, and mm-hmm. he gets. You know, he fills up about three quarters of a page, and he's off by himself. Now we're going to go into that in a second. Okay. Well, why is he doing this? What argument is he making? And the argument that he's making is embedded in a comment that uh, uh, that Gordon makes to um, Yindel. You know, when he she take before she takes over, mm-hmm. and he says uh, he's too big. He says that about Batman. He's right. too big, right? And later, and it's like, oh, that that's interesting. Um, you know, he's too big, and and Yindel later. Uh, this is a chat. This is on page one seventy six. You know, Yindel has not been enforcing the arrest order against Batman. This is mm-hmm. after the, uh, you know, the plane's gone down and mm-hmm. Gotham has descended into chaos and, right. and, and, and Batman is the only force for, uh, for order out there. Well, Yindel says, no, no, he's, he's too big. So she's adopted Gordon's point of view. Right. Well, what does that mean? He's too big. He's too big to take down. Now, what did, what did Dark Knight do? What did it help Dark Knight? Dark Knight is part of the deconstruction of the superhero. Dark Knight mm-hmm. takes the superhero apart, right? Mm-hmm. You know, if you, if you look at it, Batman gradually loses his costume. Right. Little okay? by little. Throughout, you know, his chevron, that's his bat symbol, mm-hmm. gets blasted apart several times. Right. And the, the chevron is the symbol of his bat identity, right? It's the, it's the main part of the costume. Well, why? So Miller, you know, Miller takes every convention of the superhero and just rips it to shreds. So Miller is taking the superhero apart. You know, he has Batman defeat Superman, mm-hmm. right? You know, Superman is the superhero. Right. So Batman is a human and so forth. And at the end, you know, Batman is sitting there or this this person who was Batman, this person who was Bruce Wayne. Now he's the boss. Mhm. Right? He's not Bruce Wayne. He's not Batman anymore. He's put that all behind him. Bruce Wayne is dead, Batman is dead, the superhero is dead. He's not wearing a costume. He's going to carry on. So it would seem that if you just read the plot and you came to the end, you would say, oh, and looking at the pictures, you would say, oh, this is about the deconstruction of the superhero. The superhero doesn't work anymore, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That would be a good reading of it. Why are there all these splash pages that are spaced? You know, you could, you could count the number of pages between. You could see with the punctuation, how they punctuate them. The thing right. about comics theories, and any theory emerges, we start to borrow language from other media from other right. theories and so forth. So I talk about splash page punctuation and double page, you know, double page spread punctuation. Mm-hmm. And these should read in a certain rhythm, a certain kind of poetic, again to use a metaphor, certain kind of poetic rhythm. It should mean something. Well, why does Miller punctuate these splash page with superheroes and superheroes only? What is he arguing? He's too big. Right. The superhero is too big to be taken apart. Now, conveniently, there is Gordon's statement and Yandel's statement 
so that you get it in words. When we talk about mouse in a minute, I'm going to show you something that doesn't happen in words. There's no words for the argument that he's making. Uh, he doesn't make it in words at all. It's all through comics. But in, in, in Dark Knight, it is there. And so that's the argument he's making. You can't take apart. He, he's saying, I'm taking apart the superhero, but you can't take apart the superhero genre. It's too big. It's going to come back. It's going to be there. We're right. not going to wreck it. Okay? And okay. what's the proof of that? Why does, in the reading that I've just given you, mm-hmm. why does the son of, why does the SOB, son of the Batman, right. get, he's the only character who gets this level of space, this kind of treatment, who is not a straightforward superhero? Because the superhero genre will continue. Right. I was going to say he's adapted. Next, He's adapted. The next generation will continue. The next generation will pick it up. The kids will pick it up. He's going to teach these kids at the end what it means to be a superhero. Mm -hmm. The superhero genre will stay alive. Interesting. Yeah. And that is a completely different reading of Dark Knight than I ever had before. I always thought it was about deconstructing the superhero. Now Mm -hmm. I've got a completely different reading and how did I do that? Because I paid attention to the splash page. I paid attention to the sequential artistry mm-hmm. of the book. Right? Yeah. Okay. So let's move on to mouse. Okay. Okay. Mouse, this is just, just mouse one, although the things I'm saying apply to mouse two. But um, I have read mouse many times and I've taught mouse many times. Right. I was reading mouse. I, I became aware of a pattern. Uh, which I'll talk about. And I got to a certain point and I went, <gasps> and I dropped the book <laughs> because I suddenly got it. I got Spiegelman's message, which is the message isn't that surprising, but the way he argues the message is really amazing. But it's, I understood what he was doing and how he was doing it and what he was saying. And I was shocked. So if you look at mouse, mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and listeners, if you if you haven't, you can go back and we've talked about both of these in in detail. I know we've talked about um, Dark Knight Returns and we've done Mouse over a couple of episodes, so you can go back into the archives and find those if you haven't read these and you can learn all about what's going on. Yes, and you can get um, copies of books. So if you look at Mouse, um, in most of the pages that are in the present, in many of them at least. Uh, the, the page layout is two tiers of four panels. It's mm-hmm. eight panels. There's many, many pages like this. It's very regular. Okay? And in the past, in the, in the, in the 30s and, and into the 40s, um, the page layout is much more irregular. Mm-hmm. There will be inset panels. There will be uh, um, panels that go across the whole page. Um, he does. He often does a long low panel at the end of the page, which seems to be some kind of punctuation. But to be honest, I don't know what it means. Um, anyway, but the 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 page layout is that in the present it's predictable, it's regular, right, right. And in the past, it's irregular. Mm-hmm. Well, why? Because in the present we're secure. Artie is not actually worried about real Nazis taking Mm -hmm. over the United States and putting all the Jews to death in concentration camps, right? Right, right. 
But for Vladek, living in pre-war Europe, leading up to you know Poland, leading up to the war, in the war, things were unsettled. They didn't know right. what was going to happen to them. It was very disturbing, right? You know, mm-hmm. they, they, nobody knew. They didn't know if they'd live or die. Things were unsettled. And so the page layout conveys that sense of unsettledness by being irregular. You don't know what the next panel is going to look like. You don't know what the next page is going to look like. Right. So he's making that argument. Okay. Mm-hmm. Then the second thing is you find that in the present, there are many panels, especially the first panel on, you know, you think of the two-page spread. This, this idea comes out of Theory Gronstein's book called The System of Comics. That There's these different units. There's the panel, there's mm-hmm. the, the tier or the, the right. strip, mm-hmm. there's the page, and then there's the two-page. Right. Right? And he's got these different, he's got all these different frames. So one of the ways you can think about it is you think of the, um, the two-page frame as a, as a unit. And frequently, the first panel in the two-page frame is in the present, mm-hmm. and it often is borderless. It doesn't have a top border on it. Hmm. Now, okay. McLeod, McLeod talks about this. He calls it a bleed. Mm-hmm. And a, a bleed is is timeless. It, it it has less specific time, you know, right. and it's open and 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 so forth. Well, you find and you find throughout that many of the panels that are set in the present, when there's a transition in the middle of a page, even from uh, the past to the present, the the present panel will not have a top border, or might not have a side border, you know, panel mm-hmm. border, right? Mm-hmm. Or you know, this is very open. But in the past. The past almost always has four panel borders. Right. Okay. Not always, not every time. And and if you trace this out, you'll discover that he's actually making comments by not having panel borders on certain panels in the past. But he's very consistent about this. Okay. So what does that mean? Well, that means that the past is closed. Mm -hmm. It's over. It's done. Right. Present is open. Mm Mm-hmm. Right? So just right there in panel borders and page layouts, Spiegelman has made an argument about the relationship between the past and the present. Right. Does he say this in words anywhere? No. Can you, does it fit with the themes of the story? Yes. Yes. Artie mm-hmm. is much safer. Artie's future is unwritten. Right. Vladek, in the past, his, his, state was insecure, right? The, 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 the Nazis were after him, right? Mm-hmm. His state was insecure, but it's closed down. It's the past. This story, he's telling it, but it's not open for change. Right. Now, and, 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 and the biggest panel that, that you know, Spiegelman will have uh, quarter panels, maybe, you know, maybe Something that runs about 40% of a page, something like that. But that's right. about it. He doesn't have any, any uh, full panel spreads or full page spreads, right? Doesn't do splash panels. Well, you get to page 156 at the end of Mouse 1. And it's the Arbeit Macht Frei panel. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's going into Auschwitz. Right. And, and you look, and, and at the top is a truck. Mm-hmm. With a swastika on it, and then there's two in, there's two panels in there. They're inside the truck, 
And it's very interesting. They're inside the truck. They're inside the panels. They're closed in. It's on the truck. And then there's the entrance to the camp, and it says Arbeit Mach Frei. Now, the thing is, there's no top border on this panel. Hmm. Okay? So, what does that mean? Well, it means something. Okay? And, and so, the, 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 it's going back to McLeod. It's a bleed, so it's timeless, Right. Right. This is set in the past, and he's always he's argued consistently that the past is closed, right? Right. And the other thing about it is, is if you look, your eye is supposed to move from left to right, and there is uh, between the truck, and then it it, it kind of goes in a diagonal to the right, and so that should pull your eye to the right, but it doesn't. Your eye is constantly pushed to the left. The arc between the, the, the Nazi, uh, the SS guard on the far right, to the dog, to the shape of the dog that's, that's kind of leaping up uh, on his front legs are up, to mm-hmm. the guard, to the topo opening the back of the truck. They're forcing you, he's forcing you to the left. That's against the grain. Right. And they're going into Auschwitz. It's mm-hmm. unnatural to go to the left in your reading. Right. Auschwitz is unnatural. Natural, yeah. Killing each other in this way is against nature. Right. Okay. So we've got that. So it's something about the the the, the about the timelessness of the past. You turn the page. The first panel on the next page is set in the present. It's Artie and Vladek in his backyard. It's mm-hmm. a closed panel. Mm-hmm. And Artie says, my God. And when I got that, I went, Ugh, and dropped the book. Because what he had said was, Auschwitz is always with us. Right. You can't escape it's the Holocaust. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's timeless. Yeah. You can never escape that aspect of the past. It will always be there. It closes the present. Wow. The past Auschwitz, the Holocaust... This closes and determines the present. This is why mice are drawn as Jews. American mm-hmm. Jews, or Jews, Jews are drawn as mice. American Jews, who should be dogs, are mice. Mm-hmm. Why? Mm-hmm. Because the Holocaust permanently marks Jewish identity. Huh. Right? Wow. Again, yeah. that's, that's, that's really deep. I mean, that's really deep. But, and so then the question, though, is... In this case, this has to have been intentional. It don't. That's called the intentional fallacy. It's a uh, it's a, a new critical theory from uh, from a hundred years ago or so that that mm-hmm. the authors can't actually get at the author's intent, even when the author tells you what they intended. That doesn't right. really matter. It's not relevant. Now, it it seems it, he's so careful with with panel boards and with page layout that this seems. It, but again, you know, it might have just been. What he felt was right. I would, lo- I would love, this would be the question if I could ask Art Spiegelman a question. This is the question I would ask him, right? You know, was that, did you want to do that? Did you think of that? Mm-hmm. Um, it's so powerful, though. As I said, it, it, I, it blew the, it, it was a shock. <laughs> I, the book jumped out of my hands. Yeah. Now, I have read a mouse a dozen times. I've taught right. it four or five times already. Like, I would not have thought there was, that you know, and, and I, I haven't dug into all the literature about the Holocaust and it's connected, but this is just coming out of that. It was after I read the Sarah Van Ness thing and started paying attention to panel borders and page layout. It was just mm-hmm. paying attention to them. So it's not complicated theory. It's not 
you know, theory Grunstein semiotics. It's not focalization right. and ocularization. It's not, this is not complicated theory, but this is just paying attention to the punctuation, mm-hmm. you know, paying attention to the rhythm, paying attention to the beats, whatever, you, whatever metaphor from, uh, from literary studies or musical studies or whatever you want to draw on, mm-hmm. you can do that. Um, and so, yeah, this was a very powerful reading technique that I've read these things that have words and pictures mixed together for years. Mm-hmm. But only in the past year have I started to read comics. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So wow. Let, me, let me ask you this. You and I have access to, I mean, really anybody has access to all of these um, books on theory um and maybe people don't have a lot of access to them because they're not in academia uh and yeah, uh, on amazon <laughs> well know. that too but i mean that's going to have to take them some digging so what what can a reader today do to change their perspective and going in what are some things that they can start applying to their reading today to better appreciate uh comics yeah, the, the the things that I've been talking about, uh, the punctuation, um, uh, panel rhyme. Rhyme is where uh, Watchmen is a great example of rhyme. It's when mm-hmm. um, the 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 layout of a panel mm-hmm. appears, uh, and and this is one of those things. There's rhyme. There's echo. The, you know, rhyme tends to take place in the two page spread, right? But and then echo tends to be when uh, the you know in the seasons of Watchmen all the time when a panel that's the same or very similar appears mm-hmm. later on. Mm-hmm. And you can think of a two-page spread as the stanza. Right. And But, you know, rhyme can occur across a poem, you know. Okay. Um, anyway, so the thing is, pay attention to, to panel layout. Pay attention to anything that seems to be done repeatedly, anything that seems to be done just once, um, anything that seems to be done to draw your attention to draw your attention to a character, um, to draw your attention to a scene. Uh, It's, it's really, like I said, it's paying attention to page layout, paying attention to panel composition, paying attention to punctuation, especially of, of two phrase spread. Now let me give you another example of this. Okay. Um, uh, Identity crisis. Right. Okay. Did you like it? Did you dislike it? What'd you think of it? Mm -hmm. This is the, uh, this is yeah, the, question. The Sue Dibney, the Sue Dibney yes. uh, death. Yeah, oh, very powerful. Okay, is uh, is it a misogynistic text? Is it anti-female, anti-woman? Uh, I guess it depends on your perspective a little bit. Uh, right. Some people might say, "Hey, they're just killing the female character just mm-hmm. to propel the story along." In which case, right. the answer would be yes. Other yeah, women might, in refrigerators. Right. Other people might say no because it's. Uh, bringing on the the emotion of losing someone close to you. Right. Now, let me make an argument that it's a misogynistic text. And I don't know okay. if, if uh, I forget the artist's name, and but Metzler, I don't know if, you know, right. uh, the writer. I, I don't know, right? Okay, but mm-hmm. here's the thing. If you look at the, the I, had a, I had a student um, who wanted to do an independent study on mm-hmm. identity crisis because he liked the book so much, right? Fine. Right. So he was taking notes on character, you know, plot, all these sorts of things, right? So you, mm-hmm. you look at the plot. The plot is, well, Sue Dibney gets killed, or, you know, right. Sue Dibney doesn't 
yeah, gets killed. And then Gene Loring turns out to be insane, the Eclipso and all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and you might look back into, oh, it turns out Gene Loring, you know, this long ago actually uh, went crazy, right? So, you know, that's character history, literary history and all that kind of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. But that's not looking at the comics. Okay. Now, in... And I don't have it in front of me either, but it's it's easy to do and it's easy to say. In the book, uh, there are certain characters who get captions, so they get right. to narrate the section of the captions. And, right, right. Um, they the caption the person who is the caption is indicated by a color. Mm-hmm. So, what color does Green Arrow get? He's got a he's got green, and it's Robin's great. got red, and Batman. Rob, no, the Robin's little... got. Oh wait, Nightwing has black. Right. Robin yeah, black, may, black with yellow text or something like that. Right, yeah. right. And, you know, Superman has blue and, mm-hmm. right, okay. So that's pretty straightforward, right? Lots of comics do that. Now, only two female characters get uh, uh, c- colored caption boxes. Do you know who those, do, does, does, does Wonder Woman get a colored caption box? No. Hmm. Does Black Canary get a colored caption box? No. Does Zantana get a colored caption box? Which, you know, guess what Guess what caption box Zantana's caption box would be? It would be fishnetted, right? Okay. <laughs> Does she get one? No. Who are the two female characters? And you, you don't have it in front of you, so I don't actually Right, I don't, know. The two female characters who get colored caption boxes are Sue Dibney and Lois Lane. Now, hmm. what colors do they get? Well, let's start with Lois Lane. What should Lois Lane's caption box look like? What should the color be, and what should the typeface type uh, well, be? Well, it should be a, a typewriter text, newspaper text. Uh, let's say a Times New Roman. Right. And it should be a slightly off-white, off-white. newspaper. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. What color does Lois Lane get for her caption box? I don't know, but I'm going to guess what, pink? You're going to guess it. it. She gets pink. And what color does Sue Dibney Who's a detective, right? Right. She is. She is right in there with Ralph Dibney. She is a detective. She is mm-hmm. doing it. She is. What color, so they both have professions, right? Right. That require them to use their brain. So Lois Lane is one of the best reporters in the world, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's pink. So what color does Sue Dibney get? She gets lavender, mm. light purple, right? Well, could Which you is, could you extrapolate that as being a lighter shade of? If Lois, if Superman is red, then Lois is pink as being his female really? half. Well, I mean, you could go that way. Ralph, Ralph doesn't get. Uh, he doesn't purple. get purple. Yeah. Mm. These are girl colors. Yeah, they get girl colors. And why? Why do? Why doesn't Black Canary get a color? Why doesn't Zantana? Why doesn't Wonder Woman get a color? Why does the only two women that get colored caption boxes? get girl colors and what does that define that defines lois not as lois lane reporter but lois lane superman's girlfriend mm-hmm. defines uh sue dibney not as a great detective but as the wife of elongated man in other words mm-hmm. they get identified as by their relationship to the male hero right right not as characters who have their own standing Mm-hmm. Their own worth. Interesting. Therefore, just by that, the text looks down upon women are less than men. 
Women only count because of their relationships to men. They do not count on their own. Identity crisis. Misogynistic text. Now, I don't know anything about Brad Metzler or uh, I think it was, uh, let me look up the author, or the artist. Uh, you know, and I don't know, you know, I don't know the letterer. I don't, you know, I don't know yeah. any of these. I don't, I don't have any particular, and it's not that they can be the nicest guys in the world. They can be, you know, fantastic uh, 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 men. They can be great boyfriends and husbands. They can be all those things. And, and yet, you, you really think Gail Simone would have done that? Right. Yeah. Uh, Pinsler, yeah. Rags, Rags Morales, and uh, Rags Michael Morales, Bear yeah. was the inker on that on that right, series. Right. And uh, and you know I don't know who the colorist is either, but uh, I'm just so that's saying the one you got to point the finger at. That, it's right, the colorist, that, uh, not but the you know the, the coloring could have been easily oh, directed yeah, yeah. by yes, but thematically mm-hmm. these colored balloons tie in with the. Women in refrigerators, and women refrigerators argument is uh, um, is an it's argument like, that uh, I think it is Gail Simone, Gail Simone made yeah. about yeah um, about uh, the way women are treated and and used as plot devices. They're killed and raped and mistreated mm-hmm. as a way of giving the heroes motivation. She's getting, right. Anybody can just Google that. But you know, it, it, it that's a critique of the book. But the the thing that I'm talking about in terms of sequential artistry and the thing that I pointed out to my student is this is what you need to look at right yeah look at that kind of thing because that gives you an argument that's based on comics mm-hmm. not based on that's a comics argument that's a sequential right. that's looking at sequential artistry that's not looking at words and pictures it's looking at comics and that's something that anybody can do. You don't have to take a, a college-level course to figure this out. Yeah. You don't so need it's just, to in anything. So you just need to spend more time. Mm-hmm. Don't spend the 10 just minutes just flipping zero. through and spend some actual time diving into the words, diving into the pictures, no matter... Yeah. Uh, I mean, okay, let me take this, this, this approach. We, you, we've talked Dark Knight, Identity Crisis, Mouse... Uh, three books that, uh, granted, Identity Crisis may, may not be on the same level as Dark Knight and Mouse, but the mm-hmm. but it's still a very important work in uh, DC Comics. Mm-hmm. Does this apply to me picking up uh, Amazing Spider-Man six sixty five? Does this apply yeah. to you know uh, uh, Joe Schmo Comics number twelve? You know, does does the stuff that you learn that uh, uh, Wells did in Citizen Kane, mm-hmm. do you apply that to Alien versus Predator? Well, you know, just, there's a number of different ways pick. that you could do that. Okay. Uh, but if you what, ask my students, they say that, no. If you ask me, right. it's yes. <laughs> is that there are going to be certain texts that are richer. There are right. going to be certain texts that reward reading and rereading, reward you know, uh, more careful analysis, you know, mm-hmm. my, this, the thing that I'm saying about, um, uh, identity crisis is really a, a, a way of taking it apart and critiquing right, it, right? right? Whereas, right. whereas with Dark Knight and with, uh, with Mouse, I'm talking about ways in which the, uh, the, a message that really seems to be a good and interesting, uh, uh, uh and worthwhile message 
how it's conveyed through the comics, the, the idea that women are less than men um, mm-hmm. is being, seems to be conveyed through identity crisis. Uh, and yet that's not, you know, that's a, that's an analysis that that's useful in looking at the book and evaluating right. the book and so forth. But that doesn't seem to be an, an analysis that says, "Oh, this is a really good comic." In fact, right. when I got done doing this with my student, if you look like Identity Crisis, if you look at the punctuation, I don't think the punctuation of the double page spreads is actually saying anything. Hmm. I, I don't yeah. think I I, just, I didn't really go into it deeply because I said to the student, "You figured this out." Right, right. Because I, I, we looked at it, and I say, I don't know what's going on here, but I don't see anything. But I didn't do a close reading of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, yes, yeah, some works are going to uh, reward close reading and rereading and deep analysis. Other works are not. Well, one of the one of the big works that really is going to require more time than what we have here is Watchmen. Yes, and you made you shot me a theory. That I know we're going to have to explore this in about thirty days. In the next thirty days, we have to sit down and talk about this. Do you want to throw out the idea? Yes. Do you want to throw out the idea now, or should we wait until the next time? No, no. I'm going to throw out the big teaser. Okay. And uh, and then we'll get into it next time. the The question is, uh, DC Comics, Dan Didio, and uh, uh, Jeff Johns, and so forth. They're thinking about. getting a sequel to Watchmen. Obviously, more right. is not going to be involved in it, and this, this seems mm-hmm. to me to be a terrible idea. Right. But it's also a terrible idea because the sequel to Watchmen, we already have it. What? 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 Did somebody publish it? <laughs> Fan fiction? What are you talking about? You're great. No, no. No, Mill- Moore already published the sequel to Watchmen. Wait, what? through what company? When did he do- He did it in Watchmen. I know what happens. I know that what happens with Osmandius's plan. I know whether it succeeds or fails. I know that because Moore told us so. It's in the book. And I'm going to just lay out one clue that okay. this, this is what started me on figuring this out. And uh, uh, I'm going to, I'll give the, I, I read this in a, in a text. I think it was the Sarah Van Ness uh, piece. I think she raised this question, but I'll find that uh, so I cr- properly credit it. It's you get to the end of uh, of the first chapter of Watchmen. You get to the under the mm-hmm. hood, and mm-hmm. uh, there's a little looks like a little clipped piece of paper on the excerpt from the hood. It said, "We present here excerpts from Hollis Mason's autobiography under the hood, leading up to the time when he became the masked adventurer Night Owl, reprinted with permission of the author." And my question is, who is we? Mm-hmm. And where is here? Who is presenting this? Mm-hmm. And presenting it. And if you start with that question, try to answer that question, you may be able to figure out why writing a sequel, publishing a sequel to The Watchmen is not only a bad idea uh, because of you know artistic integrity and, and respect for the work and all those things, but it's completely unnecessary because we already know the story. We already know what happened. And you could tell the story in a sequel. Sure. But why? Yeah, we already it's already have there. The, we already have the story. It's already there. And so we, we, know, what, we know what comes out of it. Well, Dr. So Coogan, that, that, is, is, that is a good hook, and it's something definitely. And I think probably, as you mentioned, we should probably get Matthew and Rodrigo in here, this yeah. next conversation, and, because I think it may flip their lids a little bit, too. You laid a little bit of it out to me. It's already got me going, what? 
Holy cow. Yeah, start a discussion on the forums. Okay. People can start hashing this out and, and working through the theories and stuff. And I'll, I'll make an effort to, uh, to dip in over the past month and, uh, and, uh, and uh, tease people and say, okay. ah, you're, you're heading in the right direction or new, no, you're cold. I'll, I'll try to dip in and do hot and cold. Uh, <laughs> okay. That if it, we'll get on it. But uh, we'll it, start it, it in the major spoilers forum. It'll be under the DC Comics uh, heading. Uh, it'll be called Watchmen Sequel is Already Complete. You guys can throw out your ideas there. Yes. Dr. Was, Coogan and... Turn into an article called, We Don't Need No Stinking Sequel. <laughs> Dr. Coogan, until you're back on the show to uh, discuss this, where can people find you? How can people find you? And if they're interested in your course, how do they go about getting enrolled in that? Well, it's full, but... Um, oh. I, uh, my, uh, the Institute for Comic Studies is... Institute for Comic Studies dot org. Uh, the the I'm currently going through a website revision, so we'll have a, a it's a limited website at the moment, kind of a rump website. Uh, I'm at um, Comic Studies at Gmail uh, dot com, so people can email me that way. I'm on Facebook, uh, people can connect with me that way. Um, and as for my course, I'm teaching um, my my one course at Webster in the fall, but in the in the spring. I, I'll be teaching at WashU, so anybody in St. You know, Louis, theoretically, you, if you can get into WashU, um, you could take the class. And uh, I don't know what class I'm teaching, though, in the, in the spring. I have to start pitching, pitching pretty hard, but uh, I, uh, I'm hoping to teach. Uh, I usually teach a comics class there in the spring, and I'm hoping to teach my, uh, my Watchmen as Great Book class there, too. Okay. And, uh, have you ever thought about teaching so, online? Uh, I have. I haven't... Uh, I haven't done it uh, mostly because the sort of effort that would be required to find a school where I could teach online. I I've got I've got so much stuff to do already that that hasn't been a I haven't needed sort of the work. Uh, so I haven't done it yet. If there is a somebody out there is listening and uh, and they'd like to, I could adapt any of the courses I have for an online course. Of course, if uh, you know you want to go to your uh, to your uh, faculty or your administration and say get pete coogan to teach this class uh, i'll uh, i'll well, definitely we, entertain offers i will definitely be talking with you about that in the near future so all right dr coogan thank you so much for coming on i cannot wait until we have you on again next month to discuss Watchmen. and again listeners head over to the major spoilers.com forum under the dc uh category look for Watchmen. the sequel is already done and put your thoughts in there and until next time Keep reading comics because we know that you love comics and we do too, and we will talk with you soon. If you have any questions, comments, topic ideas for future shows, or would like to sponsor a show, send an email to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. Visit Majorspoilers at Majorspoilers.com and be sure to check out the Major Spoilers forum. You can also follow Major Spoilers on Twitter at twitter.com slash Majorspoilers and on MySpace at myspace.com slash Majorspoilers. Fat Dick's revision of Superman I could save a few bucks and stand around And read through the covers of the comics on the stand But although every other page Would be backwards I suppose I could still read the evens and the odds Well I don't know Guess I haven't thought this all the way through Plus as soon as the comic book store guy knew They kicked my butt out on the corner What a major spoiler What a major spoiler 
away If I was hulking green or gray I could just bust through that brick wall Take their comic books away But then the little meat would deal With all the tanks and bombs and guns Have you ever tried to read a series With all that going on Guess I mean to rethink this plan How would I back and board my comics With such huge hands Guess I already told ya What a major spoiler What a major spoiler Yeah, yeah, yeah what a major spoiler What a major spoiler If I'm Stark Raven rich like a man of iron I might not be surprised to find That I might actually have the heart cold To follow an entire storyline But would I really even need To read upon all those escapades I mean, who needs such distractions When your sister's such a babe But the downside is such a beast Being shot up in a fine Be in the Middle East With a king sign throwing soldier what a major spoiler What a major spoiler Yeah, yeah, yeah What a major spoiler Whoa, 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 whoa What a major spoiler Major Spoilers is copyright 2011 As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.